So many things have ruined my childhood So I go online to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus Fly New versions of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh -huh, uh -huh. Predators, uh -huh, uh -huh. Marvel, uh -huh, uh -huh. DC, uh -huh, uh -huh. maybe it doesn't all quite sting. Okay, well, except maybe for that Jar Jar Binks. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Podcast Ruined My Childhood. I'm Phil Durasmo, and with me, as always, is Eric Walensky. Eric? Hey, folks. How's everybody doing? I am positive they're doing great, and they're going to be even happier to know that we have a special guest with us. Uh, he and I have circled each other in podcast world for a little over a year now, but we've never actually been on the same podcast together. So I'm very excited that he has joined our podcast, Mr. Brad Jost. Hey, what's going on? I'm finally excited to to get to podcast with you and talk about Jurassic Park on something other than my show. I'm excited. Yeah, very exciting. 65 million years in the making, this podcast might be. <laughs> <laughs> but see, Phil, we we were we were so preoccupied with whether or not we we could have a podcast, we never stopped to think if if we should. <laughs> That is the uh, the legendary words of Dr. Ian Malcolm coming straight through, Eric. Yes. That is right, everybody. We are going to be talking about Jurassic Park 1, 2, and 3 on this week's This Podcast Ruined My Childhood. Gentlemen, let's take a second and remember what it felt like coming out of the theater in 1993. Brad, since you're our special guest this week, why don't you tell us your your memories of 1993 and seeing this movie for the first time? Well, uh, might be a huge letdown for everybody out there, but uh, I don't remember it. I, I unfortunately do not remember the first time <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> and it's, you know, honestly, it is so frustrating to me to be doing what I'm doing and talking about Jurassic Park each and every week and then to not have that first memory of seeing the movie. Um, I do have um, a later memory of like one of the first times I did see it in theaters. Um, and it was like a, a few years later, uh, a local movie theater. I think it was um, Lowe's, I guess, you know, opened up for the first time in my town. And it, they were doing a, like, a, you know, just throwing all kinds of awesome movies into theaters for like really cheap. And I remember going to see it there for the first time in theaters. But I had seen it uh, pr previously in theaters. I just do have no recollection of doing it because I was like seven years old i guess so the memories are fleeting from back then wow eric what are your memories <laughs> well, i was gonna say that's interesting because i've actually never seen jurassic park and i'm just excited to hear about this movie <laughs> nice. <laughs> no it's good um i i can i can forgive you now you said you're seven years old i'm like how can you not remember um yeah but yeah, being seven, I can understand how that would uh, maybe slip by. But 
for me, I would have been, uh, I'm actually 10 years older. I would have been 17 at the time. And it uh, came out in June. Uh, school was out. And me and my buddy went to the kind of kind of like how you had the 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 second run movies in in your town brad we -hmm. had the two major theaters and then there was this other one they didn't do second well they would do second run but they would also get uh freshly released films and they happened to get jurassic park so we went to that theater um their crowds there was no crowd that day it was just me and my friend you know scant number of people uh because everybody else went to the other theaters and my goodness, this is this is my Star Wars. The way kids who were like teenagers in the 70s went and saw Star Wars and were completely blown away. And they'll talk about how they'd never seen anything like it. That's what Jurassic Park is for me. It is it, it's yeah. my Star Wars. And I love Star Wars. But again, I was younger, too, when when they came out. I wasn't a teenager, obviously, then. But uh, man, I, I will never forget just being in there and seeing the T-Rex for the first time. And my friend and I, we were just staring at each other when we walked out of there. Like we couldn't even talk. We were just like, this is the most incredible movie I've ever seen in my life. And I still feel that way. Every time Jurassic Park is on TV, I, I have to watch the movie. I mean, at least for a few minutes, I have <laughs> to just watch that. It's, it is so awesome. It's, it's yeah. just, yeah, blew me away. I feel the same way. So I, my birthday is in May, late May, and I was a huge dinosaur kid. Growing up, I wanted to play with dinosaurs all the time. I used to want to be a paleontologist. Uh, and so when Jurassic Park, the book came out, I was probably, I don't know, 10 or so, nine. And I read Jurassic Park. I didn't understand more than half of the book. You know, obviously, I didn't understand most of it, but I just loved it. I thought it was so cool to think about someone engineering dinosaurs and bringing them back because I was so enamored with dinosaurs at that young age. And when I heard that this movie was coming out, I just couldn't believe it. So when I was uh, turning 12, I turned 12 in 1993, I had a sleepover in June. So I delayed my birthday party (laughs) for two weeks so that my friends could come sleep over, stay the night on a Friday night. And then Saturday, my parents and another friend's parents drove all of us kids to the movie theater, and we saw a matinee of Jurassic Park. And same as you, Eric. When I saw the the first Brachiosaur, and you know when Alan Grant takes the sunglasses off his face and turns Ellie Sattler's head, and you see that Brachiosaur there, I my jaw dropped, and my jaw stayed down for the rest of the film. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't believe the technology that was being used. I couldn't, I I was immersed in this world. Dinosaurs were real for those two hours and four minutes or two hours and seven minutes, excuse me. I just was blown away and it became my favorite movie. It surpassed Empire Strikes Back as my favorite movie up to that point in my life. And still to this day, same as you, Eric, if it is on TV, I'm watching from that scene on. And when I see the scene where um, Grant, Sattler, Malcolm, where, where they all see the Brachiosaur for the first time, I still get chills. When I watched this the other day to prepare for today, I got chills. You know, when he says, when Hammond says, we clocked the two decks at 35 miles an hour, like, I still, like, giggle like a, like a 12-year-old boy. 
And I just, I, I can't say enough about this film and I, I love every minute of it. And I don't think there's anything that I would change in Jurassic Park. It is one of those near perfect films that, um, the sequels always tried to live up to, but could never even get close. I think it's a rare instance where the film surpasses the book actually too. Um, usually the book has, has a little bit, uh, more detail, a little more gravity, and and sometimes the film adaptation just doesn't doesn't pull it off. But I think Jurassic Park way surpassed the book for me because I didn't read the books until years later. And when I read it, and I'm like, Hammond's a jerk, and there's volcanoes, <laughs> and he had to go into caves. This is terrible. Like the first half is good because it's largely the the book, or it's, it's largely what they did in the film. But then the ending, I'm like, ooh, I wouldn't have liked that. I'm glad Spielberg changed this. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's that's the thing that kind of, uh, you know, I, I mentioned not being able to see the movie or not uh, remembering seeing the movie. But I do remember like my mom reading the novel out on the front porch of our house and and telling me like I would walk up to her and be like, what is this book that you're reading? It has a dinosaur on it. What is it? And she, you know, told me about this, these terrifying situations with raptors and stuff. And this is probably more so around like 1991 or whenever the book came out. Um, so I remember these moments and just being kind of enamored by how scary it sounded. And, and yeah, I was a huge dinosaur fan at that time too. And the, the novel, you know, when you're talking about that, it's, it's, it's such a different tale, you know, like the way mm-hmm. that, that, that story is, 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 uh, told. It's just so different. The vibe is completely different. It's, the, the movie is is so bright and 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 happy most of the time. I mean, there's a lot of terror, terrifying <laughs> situations, but it's just so you know just bright and happy. But the novel is it always seems dark and oppressive. So I I think it's just two vastly different styles. And um, I know a lot of people are always interested in seeing the book actually come to life in something like an HBO uh, series or something like Westworld would. You know, so. Uh, it's just so different, but uh, they're they're great in their own rights. But I definitely agree that the movie is is better to me uh, than the novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, I, it, I agree with that. The the book is the book is good. I did like the book, but yes, I, I felt like I was watching like a an Elseworlds version or reading an Elseworlds version of Jurassic <laughs> Park. And in and in that respect, I feel like I even get a little more Jurassic Park because I get a whole other different story than has been presented in the films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. And luckily, it's been mined throughout the years. I mean, they're still literally still doing it. You know, to this day, just pulling stuff from that first novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, something fun about the production of the movie, getting getting into the filmmaking uh, in general, is that did you all know that? I mean, I'm sure Brad, you knew this being a theme park guy but uh spielberg got inspiration for the dinosaurs uh the way that they would articulate and move from riding kong Fontation at universal studios in florida yes i didn't know that until just a couple days ago and i think that is one of the coolest facts disney imagineer and disney legend bob gurr designed kong for universal um back when he he worked for them and spielberg went on the ride and said we need our dinosaurs to move like this when we make Jurassic Park. And so he then wanted to build every single dinosaur, and it was just too expensive to do. So anytime there's a close-up shot of a dinosaur in the movie, it's live action. And anytime that there's a full shot of the dinosaur, it's uh, CGI, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, well, uh, Spielberg was adamant 
because uh, all the dinosaurs in the Jurassic Park movies are animatronic or CGI. He was adamant that he did not want to use real dinosaurs at all. Um, <laughs> Too dangerous, right? He just no. couldn't get the insurance for it. No, actually, see that? <laughs> no kidding. That that is that is what people get wrong about this. It's in one of the DVD extras. He's quoted. Um, it's not about the temperament of the animals. He said it's, uh, and that's what everyone assumes. It's just that the leather hides of the dinosaurs didn't pop on film. Uh, it was more of a visual element. There's a more flexibility with CGI and animatronics. So it wow. is not. It is not about the insurance. It's it's about the visual. My goodness. Yeah, you know, they actually you know. they actually attempted the real dinosaur. They tried it with the Triceratops, but Stephen didn't like the way it looked, like you're saying, and he ended up just shooting it. And then he took that, took that picture right in front of the you know the the dead trike, and mm-hmm. people you know still reprimand him to this day. Wow, it's amazing he was ever he was able to to still make films. You know, uh, yeah, I'm I'm shocked. <laughs> there there was talk I'm, I'm glad you know this brad see i'm not crazy phil there was talk of using a real triceratops in jurassic world as a nod to that scene and then they just went with the hologram of a dilophosaur oh wow. <laughs> i'm just learning so much today yeah so <laughs> the movie came out it did so well it had the highest opening weekend of any film and held that title until 2001 from 1993 until 2001. It was the highest grossing opening weekend for a film and Spielberg I'm sure was very proud of it, even though he had a lot of headaches while making it. So Spielberg did have some headaches because he was actually, they, they finished filming 12 days ahead of schedule. He had to go off to take care of Schindler's list because he was filming them both together. The studio gave him the green light for Schindler's list but they said, you have to make the dinosaur movie too, as they called it. So he was doing both. And after he left uh, production to go to Schindler's List, he, he, he did say in an article where he's filming this very heavy film about the Holocaust and then during the day and then at night he's going back to his hotel room and then having to approve CGI dinosaur shots. And he said it was a real jarringly strange experience to go from such a heavy personal film to, yep, that cartoon dinosaur looks great. So <laughs> just an interesting, you know, what, what filmmakers kind of the worlds they have to shift through. Yeah. Yeah. And surprisingly, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, George Lucas was actually helping out during that period of time on Jurassic Park, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. He gets a special thanks in the in the credits. Great to have yeah. a friend like that, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially when his company's doing all your CGI. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And sound too, right? Didn't Skywalker sound do the sound for it? Uh, yeah, I believe so. So moving on, th- four years pass, and we get the Lost World colon Jurassic Park. Now, the m- movie was titled the same as the book, and there was a lot of question about whether or not they should keep it that way because of Arthur Conan, Arthur Conan Doyle's Lost World movie. But they decided to keep it as The Lost World and just put Jurassic Park in the title to make sure that audiences knew what they were getting. But The Lost World, much like the book, takes them to Site B. But that's about all that's the same between the book and the film, aside from Ian Malcolm being the main character. Mm -hmm. What do you both remember from seeing The Lost World? Well, uh, again, I've got a very vivid memory of this one as well. 
and I was up north, little uh, northern town on Lake Huron. And if you know anything about Michigan, when you go up north for the weekend and it rains, there's nothing to do because all there is to do in these nice northern towns is go to the beach and have outdoor fun. So it starts raining. And where does everybody go? To the little two screen theater in the little one street downtown strip. And I was 20 years old at the time. And it was me, uh, my girlfriend, her brother, her dad, and about 212 to 14 year olds. And my goodness, that scene where the Raptors go tearing through the field and grab that whole crew that's running through there, you, you couldn't even hear yourself think the screams and the laughter and the, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, the shrieks. It was insane. And again, that's just another reason that Jurassic Park, even as a, as a franchise, just I have so many good memories tied to seeing these movies in the theater. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I loved it. Well, put in that like womp womp noise because <laughs> guess what, guys? I don't remember seeing this one either. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're 11 now, right? You're 11. Yeah, I, yeah, so, I was 11. So young, it, maybe. A little young and and look, I mean, honestly, I don't remember what I did yesterday, so it's it's tough. But um, uh, this movie, this movie hit me at at the right time, like in that 11, 12, like that. That range is is perfect, I think, for Jurassic. And like I, I do have a lot of memory of just watching this movie on VHS and just how 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 awesome that experience is by itself, because the movie starts off in such like a, a hazy manner. It's it's dark. It, you know, it, it opens up from a, a fade in from black and it's just so foggy and hazy. And, and the movie's darker in general. And just seeing that on VHS with all the, you know, the, the it's not very crisp of an experience, but it just adds mm-hmm. to that. And I remember sitting there in front of a small TV watching this movie over and over on VHS and and uh, man, it was awesome. And um, unfortunately, yeah, I just don't remember seeing this one either. But um it's such a bummer to me because like I said, this one hit me at the right time. So in, in many instances, I consider this to be my favorite movie over the first one even. So it's, really? it's crazy it, at times. Yeah. I think, wow. I think I can argue pretty well for both of them. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So same thing for me. I, I same as Eric, I should say, I saw it in my local theater. I don't even know how many seats were in it, but it's a pretty small theater. Maybe, maybe a hundred, maybe 95. It was, just a fun experience that scene with the raptors just every single time still like just like with the first movie chills Mm -hmm. in that sequence with the raptors um but there was a lot that when i left the theater and and mind you at this point in 1997 i'm 16 and my cognitive abilities are a little bit stronger than when i was 12 and so when i read the lost world the book i liked that book better than i liked jurassic park book and so I had really high hopes for the film because I thought the book was better than than the original. And so I went to see it in the theater, and it is it's not so much of a departure that it's shocking, but it's enough of a departure that the things that they changed, I don't understand why they changed them. And it really sat in a weird place with me for a long time. I don't... Mm-hmm love the lost world i really like the lost world but i don't love it and i think it's because of that first impression i had when i left the theater 
and I loved the book so much. And I just, you know, Eric, you said it before, Jurassic Park was a better movie than book. And the lost world was a better book than movie. And I couldn't reconcile that at 16 years old. I couldn't, I couldn't make it make sense in my head. And so I always kind of have this little bit of resentment for the lost world because it didn't do what Jurassic Park did from a film standpoint, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I see that. See, I didn't read either book until after I saw Jurassic Park 3 because that that was finally the point where I was like, okay, third movie, now I got to get around to reading the source material on this stuff. So it was... So I, I didn't have any 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 notions about the books when I saw the movies. I will say though, the Lost World, while I I loved it in the theater, and you know the two T Rexes tearing up the trailer and and all of that, and then the Raptors and just overall just a, a fun good movie. Uh, I find now it takes a little while to get there. There's a lot of talking before you really get going watching jeff goldblum talk to the lawyers the lawyers having their meeting talking to hammond and there's some good lines in there of course you know i love the uh you know we we learned our lessons we're not gonna we're not gonna make the same mistakes no 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 you're gonna make all (laughs) new mistakes yeah i love i love that um Mm -hmm. but but in in since that initial impression i've seen the movie a couple times and i just rewatched it maybe two months ago and I was really floored by like how long it takes them to get to the island. I'd kind of forgotten that there was so much talking and I wasn't really impressed with that. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the things that I just really, really dislike is the San Diego sequence. I just, I can't get around that part of the movie. I, I used to, and I don't do this anymore because I can just deal with it nowadays when I'm watching a film, but I used to turn off my DVD or VHS or whatever it was when they left the island and I wouldn't watch any of the San Diego sequence. Oh man. Oh, that hurts me so much. Really? I I love (laughs) that. I love that moment. It's so funny because both you both bring up moments that I, I love so much. And I, I I mean, like I said before, this movie could, you know, be one of my favorites of all time. So I, I really appreciate those slow moments in the beginning. And, um, some of my favorite lines and things come from those moments. And like you were talking about the the moment where Ian is talking with Hammond in, in the house. And I just, I love that so much. I love all the conversation. I love like the garage sequence. It's like a, it's like a toy room when they're, they're in that garage and you have the, the RV, the camper there, you have all these amazing trucks or the high hide is in there and it, there's sparks flying, people working on stuff. It's amazing. And I love the San Diego stuff too. It's just, it's so different and so fun um, and so funny. Like I, I just love the the comedy in that movie. Yeah, I, and that's where I think I might have a problem with it is that it it felt like it was trying too hard, especially when they were on the mainland. Everything was either a joke, like with the doghouse, or too serious with the guy getting eaten by the baby T Rex. I mean, it all was just I don't know. It, it just doesn't doesn't work as well for me. So here's here's a question for you, Brad. Um, I didn't personally notice this myself, and I read this in a Jurassic Park article because I'm I'm a sucker for Jurassic Park. Anything comes up, you know. I've I've said it before. Like after the the third movie came out, and people 
you know, were like, eh, that was all right. And eh, it wasn't as good. And then Jurassic World came out and people had complaints. And then the next, I, I, man, you keep making dinosaur movies. I am going to keep showing up for them. They're just, <laughs> I read anything and everything about this stuff. But so here's, here's, a, uh, I guess it's be a, a mistake. I don't know exactly what you'd classify this as plot hole, but when the ship is crashed into the dock and they start exploring to find it out and they pick up the severed hand that was on the button, <laughs> the dinosaurs are in the hold of the ship, but yet there's a sever. So did the hand get severed and he pushed the button and the dinosaur ran real quick and got in the hole. So I'm like, how, how did that well, happen? That even, does not, not make even. sense. It's not even just that. Another part of that whole scene is they go up and they they go into the control room for the boat, and there's the severed hand on the on the wheel. But right. how's the T Rex going to fit in there? The T Rex is going to knock the whole control room or or you know the whatever that's called the room apart. So answer the, <laughs> how did answer the question, Brad? Answer the question. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, this is kind of a difficult one to answer. Uh, there is no answer specifically. It's just a, it's just one of those mistakes. And and yeah, I mean, there there that ending uh, it was completely different than intended and. You know, there was there was whole things where they were going to go um, over cliffs. There, it was almost going to be like motorcycle chases and quad and stuff like that. Go over cliffs with hang gliders and all this stuff. And and I think at one point, maybe even Raptors were supposed to be on that ship. So th- it's probably a, like a lingering idea from something like that. But mm-hmm. it, it is weird and it, it makes no sense why it's there. I have no clue how they just were like, yeah, let's just keep that in there. Yeah, you know, it. I, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense, and it's just one of those things you just kind of have to look away from, I guess, and just laugh at. But yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't ruin anything for me. I probably saw the movie four or five times, and that never occurred to me. <laughs> it, it just is like I'm watching it because I guess the mainland part to me is the part that takes me out of it a little bit. I like the mystique of the dinosaur islands. So when you came to the mainland. That, that took me out of it a little bit. So I guess that's why I just never really paid attention to the details because I'm like, oh, well, here's the mainland part. It's okay. And then it wasn't until I read that article, I was like, yeah, how did the dinosaur <laughs> do that? Yeah, I think about it yeah. every single time I watch it. Yeah, it's not like the baby was on there or anything. Yeah. I don't know, but I, I love the sequence just because of these like homages to like stuff like King Kong and Godzilla. Yep. And it's, yep. it's that typical monster, you know, just, just giant monster movie at the end where it's attacking the city. Um, it's, it's so much fun to me. And I, even the boat um, is named the SS venture. And, and that's like the same boat name from uh, King Kong. Yep. So I have that on my, it, on my notes to talk about. And that's yeah, fun to bring that it's, up. it's, it's awesome. Like I love those little homages and, mm-hmm. and, uh, it's so much fun. And, and honestly, like that shot of the T-Rex against the city of San Diego, like that is incredible. Yeah, and that is pretty cool. There are, there are, there are pretty awesome moments as far as like animatronics and CG goes, you know, there when, when the T-Rex is at the um, gas station. Um, yes. But yeah. I, I'm just laughing at all these comical moments in my head of like that ball rolling by and, and just Ian Malcolm's face as it rolls by. It's yeah. stuff like that that just kills me. It's it's truly it feels like they were definitely going for the cheese factor and they knew that they were doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. It was very much an homage to King Kong. 
that's Steven Spielberg's favorite movie growing up was King Kong from the 30s. So he put in a couple homages to it uh, in both Jurassic Park and Jurassic Park 2. Um, did you all know, and another fun fact about filming, some of the scenes that they shot were in the Redwood Forest at the same location that was used as Endor in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It creates this identity for, you know, this second island, Isla Sorna. It just, it, it creates a completely different vibe. And yes, that vibe is trashed in the next movie. But uh, I love, <laughs> I love the Redwoods and just that style. And it's interesting, like, now we're seeing a, a show called Camp Cretaceous come along. And it's actually kind of using a lot of that similar vibe. But for Isla Nublar, and I'm very confused, but... That's a whole different kind of conversation, but I just I love that vibe versus the the jungle of Isla Nublar, the the first island. So it creates this distinct difference, and I, I really love that. Yep, I agree. One of the best scenes in the in the film, in my opinion, is the T Rex, the two T Rexes coming at the the trailers. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love the suspense. I I love how long that scene is, how long the sequence takes from when they first get the baby back and let it out to then getting up off the top of the cliff. It, it is a very long sequence and um, it's just heart pounding the entire time. Yeah. And that was, that was done in the redwoods. So the, the surrounding scenes of the T-Rexes coming out of the forest was done in the redwoods. And then that actual sequence of them going over the cliff was shot off the roof of a soundstage in Hollywood. Hmm. I've actually been to where they film like, legitimately where they filmed return of the jedi in the redwood forest there we were at the national park there and as we're driving in there's a road that actually says skywalker road and as soon as i saw it i turned to my wife i said hey that's where they they had to have filmed star wars down there and she looks at me and says eric the world doesn't revolve around star wars i'm sure that's just a road so we get down to the ranger station, the main entrance, and we go in, and she's telling us, you know, oh, well, if you're going to camp, go here. If you're going to do this, go there. And I said, one last question. I said, as we're driving in, I saw Skywalker Road. Is that where they film Star Wars down there? And she kind of sighs and says, <laughs> yeah. And I turn to my wife and said, I knew it. <laughs> and then they exchange a glance of like, oh, boy, you're one of those. Okay. <laughs> And you are one of those, and you're proud of it. So. <laughs> and I am, yeah. And we went back later that day. We went down. You can drive, I don't know, it was maybe a mile down that road, and then it just kind of dead ends in a clearing. So, But that is what she said. She goes, you know, forever ago, she said, of course, you're never going to, you're not going to see anything. You know, I couldn't recognize locations or anything, but mm-hmm. but I, I was just happy to be where they made return of the jedi i thought that was neat <laughs> that's the best part about traveling imagine imagine traveling yeah. to i mean i've never gone there but but uh hawaii and like mm-hmm. you you have to visit so many places you have to go to like where they film jurassic park you gotta go where they film indiana jones maybe if you want to see some pirates of the caribbean or lost it's like there's too many places to see yeah for sure you know it's it's uh funny you bring it up because I have been to Hawaii and I've taken one of those helicopter tours where it flies you on the route that they take in the first Jurassic Park movie and you see the waterfall and everything. It's awesome. um, so I have some pictures of that and I I treasure those photos. Yeah. Oh, one day. Most of that yeah, was right. like Kauai, right? Uh-huh. There's a big, like huge open area in Kauai on the southern part that's basically just 
private property. Yeah, it's like Kulua Ranch. Yep. And uh, you can take helicopter tours flying over it. You can also pay a lot more and do excursions on the ground, but we didn't we didn't pay for that. Yeah, they they have like a uh, a log that kind of like stands for the original log. It's like, hey, this is where they filmed that that shot with the uh, T Rex and the Gallimimus out in the fields and stuff. Yeah, one day I'll do that. Cool. It was very cool seeing the waterfall. You mentioned Indiana Jones. My friend has been there, and he actually you can do the rope swing that Indy does at the beginning of Raiders. <laughs> you can you can swing into the into the river there. Oh, that's amazing. All right, so a couple years go by, four more years go by. Steven Spielberg says, I'm not coming back to direct another Jurassic Park movie. So he turns the reins over to a protege of his, Joe Johnston. Now, Joe Johnston is known for his first big, big, big film was actually his directorial debut of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which for that to be a directorial debut is pretty amazing in 1989. Yeah. And then he went on to one of my favorite films that is completely underrated and underappreciated, The Rocketeer in 91. It's amazing. I, I'm glad you say so. <laughs> I think that it's one of the best, best movies of the 90s. Oh, for sure. And, you know, he went on to do Jumanji and... um had wanted to film, he wanted to direct The Lost World, but Steven Spielberg was coming back and told him, you know, you you can have the next one. And so Joe Johnston, with executive producer Steven Spielberg, made Jurassic Park 3 in 2001. Now this movie, I was definitely old enough to understand that there were some liberties being taken as far as the books and as far as the film's concerned, because it is a, like you, you said, Brad, it's a departure from what we knew from the movie before on the same island, and they really just made this, in my opinion, as a cash grab. It was a way to make some more money off of a property that everybody loves, and you know Steven Spielberg didn't come back to actually direct it. You got some of the same stars, or really one star from the first movie, and nothing really looks the same, and it doesn't have the same DNA as the other two. <laughs> Ah, good one. Uh, hey, thanks. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it, it's interesting, uh, and I do remember seeing this one. Yay! The first time, the first Jurassic movie I remember seeing in theaters was Jurassic Park Three. Go me. Um, <laughs> this one, I uh, I I had a cousin that was like in town, and uh, somebody I you know we we never saw. So. I guess my family wanted to treat and take us all to the movies and we went to the big theater. It was, this was, you know, it was 2001. I, I don't remember. I don't think we had a lot of stadium seating, uh, theaters around me. So we actually traveled like a few towns over and went to this nice, like stadium seating theater. And, you know, I was so hyped because like I said, I I've been a huge Jurassic park fan at this point, got all the toys, watched the movies hundreds, hundreds of times listen to the scores over and over and go to see Jurassic Park three. I I'm now in, uh, I'm like a sophomore in high school and I guess I'm maybe too cool for school in a way. Like, you know, it's not, I've kind of like maybe grown out of it at, at that point. But, um, I remember seeing this movie and just being disappointed actually, even before I saw the movie, this is one that when, uh, so I don't know who it was, but a star, somebody was on like Jay Leno or, or Conan or something like that. And I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to get to see a clip from the movie. And, and then they play a clip, you know, Joe Johnson directed this thing and they play this clip of, uh, the attack of the, um, the, the, the airplane, uh, by the Spinosaurus. And I was just like, Oh, Oh no. Oh, Oh, this, <laughs> no, what's, what is this? 
What is this? Um, so I was very worried and very concerned, I, I guess, even going into the movie. So, you know, the movie starts and everything. And I just remember getting to, and it's pretty early on, the the part where Alan goes over to Ellie's house. And it's like, oh, hey, here's Ellie Sattler. And and it's like, oh, she's holding a baby. Oh, they're married, right? They, they have a baby. They, this is awesome. This is pays off from the first movie. And then, yep. oh, here comes Mark Degler, Ellie's husband. <laughs> And I feel like, I don't know if ever, anybody else in the theater, but my heart just sank completely. And I was like, mm-hmm. wait, what, what? And then I, I felt like I was taken out of the movie from that moment forward. And it was hard to get back on the rails. And like I said, then you have moments of just like, what is Joe Johnson doing here? Why is it like this? Because he, you you, you just listed all, all those films. And those are some of my favorite films. He, he could do no wrong, but here we are. And, and it just, it was just a mess, um, from start to finish. And then you have, you know, you, you get out of that, the end of the movie and, and it's just like ends. There's like no ending. It just stops. And you have this, you just like demolish the Jurassic park theme with this military March version of it. And I did not like that. You know, John Williams didn't return for this movie. It was, uh, Don Davis, and I don't honestly don't know a ton about his, you know, scores outside of that, but I was just, I, I couldn't understand that choice. And it was just, it was what 90 minutes like of a movie. It's so short compared to all the other ones. And I was just really, really disappointed. And I think at that point in time, I, I kind of moved on to things like Lord of the Rings and, and the matrix and like cool stuff at that point in time. So mm-hmm. yeah, things were a bit different in 2001. Yep, I I completely agree with you. It something about Jurassic Park three, I was excited for it, but my expectations were low. And I remember, so Eric, I think you all you all hadn't moved down yet, right? No, we had. You had, okay, but maybe we didn't really spend a lot of t- time together yet. Uh, I don't think you, I'd actually uh, met you. you. Didn't meet each other yet. <laughs> But I do remember to see this film, I went with our, our other mutual friend, Kevin, who was my roommate when working for Disney World at the time on the Disney College program. Kevin and I went to Universal and rode the Jurassic Park ride. And then we went back to, to downtown Disney later that night and saw Jurassic Park 3 in one of the stadium theaters at downtown Disney at AMC 24. And I remember we were so hyped, like we were going, we rode the ride, we spent part of our day in the Jurassic Park area of um, of Universal. And then we went and saw Jurassic Park 3. And I, I remember just leaving the theater feeling crushed. Mm-hmm. A lot of what you said, Brad, was really the reason for it. I didn't understand a lot of the choices that were made. And I still, even now, I watched this, I watched Jurassic Park 3 again yesterday. And I just can't, I can't figure out why... The script was written the way it was, and the, the choices just were all backwards. They all seem backwards. The only thing that they seemed to care about and get right was that raptors are smart. Yeah. But even then, the raptors had a backseat, too. It was like the, they made the Spinosaurus the main villain, and then some pterodons for a very short sequence. And that was really it. Just no focus, right? It's just like, right. we'll, we'll throw all of these things at you, and maybe some of them will work. I think honestly, the the Raptor stuff is actually pretty good. Like, and maybe we can talk about that in a bit. I'm actually completely the opposite of you guys. Uh, 
I like I said, I you make a dinosaur movie, I'm going to show up. That's that's the bottom <laughs> line. And and uh, you mentioned that this was a cash grab, Phil. I'd have to think about that because I don't I don't see it that way. And and maybe it was that that that's an interesting you know question. I, I don't know. So I'm not saying that it is. Oh, I understand. It was set out to be a cash grab. I'm saying it was made at the pace and edited down that all I can think is that they knew they were going to make their money. So they just put out a movie rather than the best movie. Oh, for sure. Exactly. I got, I got your point and I never thought of it that way. And, and I might, I might put a little thought into that because when I walked out, I, yeah, it ultimately uh, somebody, I can't remember who, cause I still hadn't read the books yet. After I saw the movie, they described to me, and I think this was actually what made me finally read the books, is I said that, you know, they had the boat ride and the pterodons. How come they didn't have pterodons before now? They only got that little cameo at the end of Lost World. I said, why didn't they use these before this? And I was told that they were in the books, and that boat ride was in the books. And I was like, oh, so basically... Jurassic Park 3 was everything left over, not everything, but most things left over from the first two books that, hey, we didn't use this in this movie. Let's put it in this one. Let's make a movie out of these sequences. So I can see how, you know, I'm, I won't disagree with your assessments, either of you. I just, at the time that I saw it, I was floored and I loved it. And I had ridden the Jurassic Park ride and I was excited that I was going to see the third Jurassic Park because there's a part in the ride before you see the T-Rex. When you go around the corner, there's a roar and these three claw marks go across this wall <laughs> and the light shines on it. And it's it's three and it's to make it look like the the posters and the, the advertising for Jurassic Park 3. So as soon as I got a chill when I saw that, because I turned to Liz, I said, look, it's because the third movie and it's coming out and I'm on the ride. I was like totally freaking out because this, I mean, probably second to Star Wars only Jurassic Park is the film franchise that just, just turns my lights on. Like I love all of it. And, uh, and then I saw the movie and yeah, it's got its quirks and you know it's a little weird here or there but i never saw any major major flaws that made me go oh this is terrible because it's just action it's dinosaurs um you you brought up a point too brad about being disappointed that alan and ellie weren't together and and i think a part of me thought that at the time but then i also realized that that's what they were driving at in the first jurassic park was all of his experience with the children because they they play that up a lot that he, he doesn't like kids i'm supposed to ride with you she said i should need to ride with you and then she has this big experience and you think oh look he's changed he realizes his you know fatherly instincts have kicked in and and you know oh there's hope for them i kind of liked that he basically she shows up with a baby which again symbolizes this is what he didn't like. This is what drove them apart. He's still just the down and dirty dinosaur guy and could not bring himself to get into a relationship where children were going to be a factor. So I kind of like that as a it's it's character growth in the fact that he was completely exposed to children yet chose to not go that way. So I still see that as his character growing. 
growing further in his belief that he doesn't want children. So yeah. that little part played in because I, I even made jokes about this before they ever did it in the movies. But that whole part where the little boy is watching Barney on TV, <laughs> yeah. taking the call while Alan is being attacked by the Spinosaur slays me to this day. And I, I, I love it. And it, it might be cheesy and dumb, but the same way they were putting that kind of cheeky fun into the end of Lost World, where it almost for me didn't quite fit, even though I didn't dislike it, I thought the dinosaur being on TV while Alan's being attacked by a real dinosaur, that comedy worked for me. Like I thought that was a very, very good move if you're going to throw any levity into the film there that was the way to do it so i i i love that scene and yes i i love the movie and, totally agree and yeah 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 if it is if it is a cash grab take my cash because <laughs> yeah. you deserve it dinosaurs on the big screen <laughs> like I, I totally agree with that barney statement i know a lot of people that despise that moment and it takes them out of it but it's just so funny to me the fact that it's mm-hmm. two completely situa- different situations and just how terrifying one is where they're they're essentially being drowned by the spinosaurus and then here's charlie just having a, a grand time watching barney and not care he, he's getting distracted and that's what every kid does you know they'll yep. they'll get distracted right. every two seconds i love that moment it's so so funny um yep. i love i love too that she picks up the phone and star 69s <laughs> And that's something that people used to do. It's so funny. Right. Like, it, what a what a past era, you know, a bygone era at this point. Yeah, people right. would watch that today with cell phones and not know that that's what she's doing. And when I watched it yesterday, I was like, "Ha, huh, I remember doing that." Well, now yeah. everybody wants that that ringtone on their cell phones anyway. So, yep, they sure do. <laughs> I, I I do. I got to say, I do love this movie. Now, it, it is it, it is one of those things where I like I hesitate to say, but. I do love it. And it, it's honestly a pretty digestible movie these days because with, you know, everything going on in your in your life and everything right now, it's like sometimes it's hard to sit down and watch a two-hour movie, you know? So you just throw this on. You don't have to fully pay attention. It's nice and easy. Um, but, yeah, there, there's some moments that are just even still kind of bad. And one that I look at is, um, you know, Alan's on the, the airplane, right? And, and oh. – <laughs> I, I, I knew this was coming up. It has yeah. to. <laughs> you can't. You can't talk about this movie without it. Um, but yeah, it, it, he he gets w- awoken by a raptor that says Alan, and that you know I'm not too bothered by that bit in and of itself. But the fact that the raptor that he sees is the Jurassic Park three raptor is mind boggling right. to me because when <laughs> I mean, unless he's there's been you know since the Lost World, maybe there's been some documentation of the island. And they they know about this other kind of raptor, but that's never stated or anything. So you just have to use like your own head cannon. But he's never yeah. seen this raptor, so why would he visualize this during a dream? Like it, it would have really really worked if they just grabbed a you know an original Jurassic Park raptor and threw it in that plane instead. But you know mm-hmm. what are you going to do? I mean, the, I guess that you know that raptor was pretty beautiful. And honestly, this movie does really really amazing work with blending the the cg and the animatronics maybe better than any of the movies at times um it's it's really amazing what they do you're you're right in that point that they do blend the cg and the animatronics beautifully yeah one of the best sequences in my opinion is the spinosaurus and t-rex fight um 
I just think that's so cool mm-hmm. with the two of them going at each other. But to go to what you're talking about with the the airplane, like that is my anytime somebody brings up Jurassic Park three, I then say in return, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> and it it has made some of our uh some of my friends roll their eyes at me because that's the first thing that I go to because it's just so absurd. And I think, Brad, I never put the words to it that you did, but I think now that you've said it, it's why I have such a problem with that scene. That's not a raptor that Alan Grant ever knew or saw. Yeah. And and I, I don't think I ever thought about it, but I think subconsciously I knew it. But that raptor knew Alan because he said his name. That's right. Well, and and the wonderful thing about that moment is it, it pays off beautifully. Like in the beginning of the movie, Alan is at Ellie's house and he's talking to Ellie's bird, which is probably a bird that they once had together. And he's like, Alan, is, is my name Alan? He's like trying to get the bird to repeat his name. And it doesn't do it. He's like, ah, oh, you know, he, I guess he doesn't remember me or whatever. So this whole movie is about communication and, you know, you have the the beginning of the movie with the, the raptor resonating chamber that Billy makes and, mm-hmm. you know, terrifies Alan in a way. And then you have him talking to the bird and you have um, you have the raptor talking to him in the plane. And then obviously it all pays off at the very end with with Alan communicating with the raptors. Now, it's a little silly, but it's it's it honestly pays off in, in a pretty cool way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I okay. never I never even made that connection with him talking to the bird, I just thought it was just his fascination with anything like animals and, and just being, you know, a scientist that he just, you know, probably thinks it's funny or cute that he's going to try <laughs> and talk to a bird, which is probably why they did it. But I never tied it into yeah. yes the, the communication aspect, the overall arc. It's like, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And it goes back to the the first uh, film with him talking about, you know, how velociraptors were birds of prey and, you know, the kid comes in. That doesn't look very scary. So it all pays off like from that standpoint. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My Phil, you you said you whenever the movie comes up, my my brother-in-law, he'll say it completely out of context just to make me laugh. Just Alan. And I know exactly what he's talking about. And it makes me laugh every time because it's so ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, we didn't talk about some of the unsung heroes of these past two sequel movies. Um, you know, we touched on Ellie and and Grant and Malcolm and even Hammond. But we didn't talk about Vince Vaughn yes. or about uh, the Billy character. Um, Vince Vaughn. You know he got the part in Lost World because Steven Spielberg had to go to a screening of Swingers <laughs> because they wanted to use the Jaws theme in Swingers. And he had to go to a screening of it just so that he would give his approval and saw Vince Vaughn in it and was so taken with him as an actor, he cast him in Lost World. I think that's such yeah. a cool way to get a part. Wow. Yeah, he's he's I definitely like underrated. I love, I love that character mm-hmm. so much. He's funny and mm-hmm. uh, he's honestly he's 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 the villain of this movie to be honest because like he destroys mm-hmm. everything he's the reason that all this chaos happened in that movie yeah. oh yeah but uh yeah it's he's he's a great character and doesn't get enough recognition when people talk about characters returning i'm like where's vince vaughn when's mm-hmm. he coming back like why why is he not in Jurassic world three well it's funny that you say he doesn't get enough recognition because when it was on the other day or whatever it was a couple months ago we watched it and 
my wife actually goes, Vince Vaughn's in this? Yeah. Like, it's like, that's right. Like, you you kind of forget that he's in it because, yes, he is an unsung hero, but solid character, great performance. Yeah, I hear that a lot about Samuel L. Jackson, too. The, like, on Twitter, you'll, you'll oh, yeah. hashtag and you'll see either Vince Vaughn and Samuel L. Jackson. It's like, they're in this movie? And it's like, yeah, <laughs> yep, they're there. But guaranteed you see that when you look up the hashtag. See, there, there's some movies that have lines that everybody says. And from Jurassic Park, there's hold on to your butts. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody knows that line. And it's funny that, like you're saying, you know, not a lot of people recognize that that's Samuel L. Jackson, but he's got one of the best lines in the movie. Yeah. And repeated in Kong, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. What's great about him even just being in it and if, you know, knowing he's in it, you hear his voice before you even ever see him. Yeah. As an he's announcing something about the last boat leaving or whatever, and and I hear it every time, and I'm like, wow! At the time, that's just a voice, and then even Sam Jackson is like, oh yeah, he was okay. He was, a, and then just to know like what he became, you know, pretty mm-hmm. much right after that film. Yeah, yeah. Still on Jurassic Park three for a second, but uh, if you ever want to rile up some Jurassic Park fans, just tell them how much you love the Spinosaurus. <laughs> It'll ruffle some feathers. <laughs> oh yeah, I love I love the Spinosaurus so so much, and I I I actually never realized because when you're when you're a fan of these movies, and I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but um, it's almost like I felt alone in my love of these movies. Like I had my cousin and my sister who were who were into them, but like outside of that, like I didn't really have any friends that like you know hung out and talked about these movies or anything. So I didn't really understand the hate. For the Spinosaurus and the and just because it it kills a, a T Rex and and I never understood that and now you come to learn that like everybody hates it because of that reason and because it killed the T Rex right. and I'm like well, it's not the same T Rex who cares it's not like the same <laughs> one from the first movie and we don't have any confirmation that it's you know the same one from the second movie either so it, it right. always perplexed me I'm like ah. Why, why do people hate it so much? But I love it. And I'll put up a, a meme or something every now and then, and everybody will roll their eyes at me. And I'll just, I genuinely love this dinosaur so much. And I think it's, it's amazing. It's so cool. I think it's a really cool dinosaur. I think it's a great design. I think they did yeah. a really good job with it. I just wish they put it in a better movie. Yeah. You know, it has its moments. Uh, I don't, I don't like mm-hmm. that initial moment in the, with the, the, yeah. the shaky Plane. cam and it's just, it's just filmed so poorly. Sorry, Joe. I mean, I love you, man, yeah. but like the, that, what that happened? action sequence in the airplane, you're completely right. It looks so fake. There's, Everything about it looks fake. Yeah. When its jaws are coming into the plane and taking the pilot, it just looks like a B movie instead mm-hmm. of a million, multi-million dollar budgeted movie. You have this incredible oh. animatronic that is is right there pulling people out of this plane and 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 grabbing on and doing all this stuff. And, and it just looks so fake. Like just how he filmed it yeah. just doesn't work. You never got that shaky cam uh, from Spielberg, you know, like just to kind of amp up the the action. That never happened. Um, so I don't know why it happened here, but, um, but, but you fast forward to like towards the end where, you know, they're in that lagoon with the Spinosaurus attacking the boat and, uh, the, the gas leaks or whatever. And the, and they shoot up a flare and there's just fire everywhere. There's like almost no mm-hmm. more beautiful shot than that moment right there in any of the movies. Like right. it's, it's iconic. It's awesome. I'm there with you. I like the Spinosaurus. I don't love it, but I like it a lot. 
I think that it is a, like I said, a cool design. You know, we, we don't know what these dinosaurs really look like, but they did a pretty good job bringing the Spinosaurus to life. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it as far as its real-life counterpoint, uh, and that's a whole separate conversation is, like, the discussion around what they should look like versus how they actually look like. And I know a lot of people are upset, and dinosaur, you know, or paleontologists uh, out there are just like, oh, it doesn't really do our, you know... Um, our uh, job any any credit here because they look so wrong and then people don't know the right dinosaurs blah 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 but i think it actually in, invites people to learn more about these dinosaurs and learn that hey the spinosaurus actually didn't look like that at all <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't right. something that would would kill a t-rex or anything so but it invites you to kind of look it up yourself and figure it out uh in your own way yep well even even the raptors the real raptors were not well, there's multiple species of raptors, and when Spielberg mm. was looking to make his raptors, he was kind of taking liberties, and he was talking to paleontologists to figure out Jack what he Horner. could do and what was real exactly, and he ended up kind of saying, well, I'm just going to have to take liberties here. I need a bigger, more fierce dinosaur than what an actual velociraptor was, which was smaller, about 50 pounds, covered in feathers, but in 1992 – right around the time of filming, right before they're filming, uh, it was discovered a larger breed of raptor, almost exactly like the one that Spielberg had kind of created for his movie. And it was either Jack Horner or another paleontologist on the phone with somebody. And that other paleontologist was telling Jack or vice versa, hey, we just found one of those dinosaurs that Spielberg is making up for his movie. So it kind of just fell into place there, but um, but yeah, the Utah Raptor. Yeah, liberties obviously need to be taken when it comes to dinosaurs. They they actually have already found out. Again, how they found out, I don't know, but that T Rex's vision would not operate in that motion sensor right vision right. way that uh, Alan Grant says that they had just fine vision. So again, you got to do what you got to do to make a dinosaur movie, and yeah, I. Uh, I, I just I couldn't be a worker with the patience to find a mosquito with dinosaur blood in it. Like, how lucky do you have to get to find <laughs> fifteen different mosquitoes that all bit a different dinosaur? Yeah, well, that's Beatty Wong was very lucky. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a still a, a fairly new science in a way, you know, we're, we're really still learning about what these things actually look like and still discovering brand new things till this day, you know? So we don't really know. And, and even a few years before Jurassic park, uh, T-Rex walked with its tail on the ground and, and, uh, you know, now the T-Rex that everybody knows and loves is like the one from the movie and, and the Brachiosaurus is, you know, the, the one that everybody loves. So it's, yeah, I think it does pretty great work. And as far as dinosaurs are concerned, even if they're not fully accurate. Yeah. I'm just picturing the guys, the scientists who are going through the mosquitoes and they're like, okay, you know, we're hoping for another dinosaur. Oh, great. Another giraffe. <laughs> yeah. Put him with the others, you know, uh, like you, you wouldn't, mammoth. <laughs> you wouldn't know what you got until you hatched it. <laughs> yeah. So Eric, why don't you tell us uh, about how one, two, and then three ruined your childhood? Uh, they absolutely did not ruin them. <laughs> they <laughs> they they were definitely on the the tail 
tail end of my childhood and and even into adulthood the the last couple but my goodness the like i said at the beginning it, the, this franchise is second only to star wars in, in as far as my awe of the films themselves seeing them in the theater and the true mo- movie going experience i don't think you can get any better than the first jurassic park on the big screen they're incredible incredible movies uh they've got definitely their their weird problems uh but i guess if you just buy into the fact that scientists were finding mosquitoes with different types of dinosaur blood in them if you can buy that i think you can pretty much buy everything else in the rest of the film so i uh i i love love these movies Brad, I bet you'll have a pretty similar sentiment. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, the these these movies changed me in a big way. And even though I don't really, I didn't care for Jurassic Park three at the time, I had other stuff to to you know to watch and to concern myself with back then. But um, I surrounded myself with everything Jurassic Park in the nineties. You know, toys. I still have, uh, I don't know, maybe eighty percent of my toys from when I was a kid, and. And I, my collection now is just out of control. And I, you know, I, I created my own Jurassic Park fan club back in the day, which consisted of myself <laughs> and my cousin and my sister. And that was it. And I have, uh, you know, I have a, like a business card and I still have it right here. It's, it's super old, but, uh, I, yeah, it changed me. And I, I love these movies and I wish the third one did it for me. But, um, again, like I said, I was in high school and I, I, I was probably just being too cool for dinosaur movies at that point. Um, one thing that bugged me about it also was, like I said, I collected all these toys and I love these toys. But when Jurassic Park 3 came around, it really bummed me that, and this is super like dorky, but like the toys, the scale of the human characters and the dinosaurs was not the same scale of the previous iterations. So I was like, oh, I don't want to collect these ones because they're just, they're not the same size. They don't fit with my other ones. I can't, you know, play with them or whatever, blah, blah, Um, (laughs) But yeah, it just, that bugged me as well. So that, that ruined my childhood because I'm like, I can't collect toys the same way that I did, I used to. So I actually uh, didn't even collect any until, you know, a few years ago when I started getting back into everything. So, yeah, but um, definitely didn't ruin my childhood overall. And I think, uh, honestly, in adulthood, I've I've found so many ways to love Jurassic Park 3 and uh, interesting ways to tie it to the entire franchise that kind of make it this like this like uh, this rock to to lean on when when you're talking about Jurassic World series and all that stuff. So it's it's kind of interesting to talk mm-hmm. about that. And I'm sure maybe we'll get to it some other time. But yeah, I, I, I love it all. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm right there with both of you. This Jurassic Park kicked off my my teenage years. You know, I turned 12 seeing Jurassic Park and my love of dinosaurs and Spielberg films hit a fever pitch from Jurassic Park on. I I know that I've said some negative things about the Lost World, Jurassic Park, and I uh, definitely have some problems with Jurassic Park 3, but they're all they're all like pizza, right? Jurassic Park is the best pizza you've ever had. The Lost World, Jurassic Park, is, you know, that pizza that you get when you don't want to go to the really good gourmet place. <laughs> and then Jurassic Park 3 is that freezer pizza that it's DiGiorno, you know, it's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. And it's still good because it's pizza, but it's just not as good as 
the really good place you can get pizza from. So <laughs> if my analogy makes any sense, I, I still love, I love all of the Jurassic Park films. <laughs> I love that so much because like, you know, you, you can you can store a bunch of those pizzas in your freezer and then like it's time comes, right. you heat them up real quick, real easy. It's Jurassic Park 3. It, like I was saying, it's digestible. Exactly. You throw it on, it's short, it's easy. You don't have to do a lot of prep to get that thing on. That's right. And the other good part about it is that I've seen them all so much that if I'm throwing on Jurassic Park 3 just for the comfort of a dinosaur movie, I don't have to pay full attention like you said before. Yeah. You can do other things, but it's still on in the background and you still know what you're getting. Yeah. (laughs) And so it didn't ruin my childhood. Jurassic Park 3 definitely gave it a run for its money, but uh, it did not ruin my childhood. So uh, I have nothing but great things to say about the franchise and will say We'll continue to say good things about the franchise moving forward in another episode. Look, I think we, I think we forgot a very, very glaring moment. I just want to bring up real quick. I was just about to say a moment that we didn't talk about. So you go first, and then I'll throw mine in. Um, I want to, I want to get your guys' take on gymnastics. What do you, what are your thoughts on gymnastics? Oh. <laughs> Is that because I tweeted that at you yesterday? <laughs> no, I just, it's a, it's a hot take for everybody out there. So I want to know, like, what does it, does that ruin things for you for that movie? It doesn't ruin it, but it is completely absurd. And someone tweeted back at at the the you know I tweeted at you, and then yeah. somebody tweeted back and said that always takes them out of the movie yeah. because the raptor looks at her like, "What is she doing?" And it's kind of true, <laughs> but it it doesn't ruin it for me. I I think that it's a fun and unique way to make the Kelly character more than one dimensional because she's very one dimensional through most of the film and the fact that they give her a moment to shine and be strong and be more than just the girl that is there by mistake Mm -hmm. i actually appreciate well it's a classic movie thing i don't know what the right word is where early on in the movie somebody says oh you quit the gymnastics team and then later on you do gymnastics Mm -hmm. and it's like just to set that up for an you know an action sequence or something like Jurassic Park is guilty of it when he goes, Oh, you're a computer nerd. I prefer hacker. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> somebody's going to use a computer later. I wonder who it's going to be. And, and I hate when movies do that where they they're foreshadowing, I guess is what it is. It's poor yeah. foreshadowing where you have to have another character say something about another character. It's just so, unorganic that way if we would have seen her walk into in the first jurassic park he walks into uh some display center and immediately starts playing with it and goes look grandpa da, 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 da. and he's like how are you able to do that and then she's like look it's easy and then you're like oh well okay you know she she knows how yeah. to use that system and then later on when she breaks into the other system or re- then you're like oh well that they set that up well but when another character has to say that, and especially the gymnastics, because, yeah, how do you work in some <laughs> scene of gymnastics early in the film that you can bring it back later in the film? I think, and just to make my final point on it, just but it diverges, Lethal Weapon 2 is one of the most blatant examples of that, where Mel Gibson is in a straitjacket at the beginning of the movie in the police station, and the bet is, can he get out of the straitjacket? And he throws <laughs> his shoulder out of place and does it, and all the cops are like, oh, man, and they lose their money. And then, sure enough, you know the bad guys put him in a straitjacket at the end of the movie and throw him in the river 
And then while he's <laughs> under there, you see him struggle, and then he goes, and you see his shoulder go, and then he takes the straight jacket off, gets out, and kills the bad guy. So it's like, <laughs> at least they didn't say early on, like, hey, you know how you got that trick shoulder and you can get out of straight jackets, but it still <laughs> is such a uh, a poor way to foreshadow. Yeah, I guess you could say. I mean, uh, I, I kind of like the way that they they foreshadow it because it's like it's it's treating it kind of dismissively and and showing you that also like Ian doesn't really pay attention to the conversation at hand and he's like, oh, uh, like you know, dad, they cut me from the team and he's just like, it just kind of like shows you how their relationship is pretty poor on one hand, but also that oh maybe maybe she's not very good at gymnastics. I don't know. But then you see, oh, she's good at gymnastics. I, I love it. I think it's so much fun. Right. And honestly, she gets yeah. the first dino kill. And that's pretty impressive. Yeah. And, and all of my all of my talking that I just did is ultimately to say though, I still love the sequence. <laughs> and I don't I don't hold that I don't hold that movie guilty of anything for that sequence. <laughs> I only hold the movie guilty for the poor, in my poor opinion. Foreshadow. Poor foreshadowing sure. on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was going to say that we didn't even talk about Dennis Nedry. Ooh, yeah, honestly, and we oh. kind of skipped over the first movie in a way. <laughs> yeah, we we always do that. Eric and I always do that when we do these. Is we skip through the first one so quick to get to the ones that people say ruined their childhoods, yeah. <laughs> and we forget big parts about yeah, the first. Everybody one. knows the first one's good. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So Dennis Nedry, just an iconic character. Brad, did I see correctly that you were able to get the Nedry toy from Mattel? Yeah, from, uh, so Comic-Con? yeah, it was um, an exclusive for San Diego Comic-Con. And since obviously there was no in-person thing, they did them all online and they sold out really, really quick. So I was able to grab one and they honestly still have not sent them out. Um, today, I actually got a confirmation that they're going to be shipping out. But Mattel sent me one like way in advance and I got to review it and take a look at it. It's it's awesome. Comes in its own yeah. like Barbasol can. Uh, it has like um, sound effects. It actually does like a few of the lines from Nedry includes this like awesome like little backdrop he comes with like his own little barbasol can and um <laughs> a little piece of uh cherry pie with whipped cream or shaving cream on top of it so yep shaving cream it's on awesome top. it's awesome i love that thing it's that's great i watched somebody do an unboxing video of it the other day and i just can't believe how cool it is yeah but dennis nedry is one of those characters that just will go down in the annals of history as a great movie villain he's in it for himself he has a lot of his own problems that we don't really explore, but, you know, it's a, it's a throwaway line by John Hammond. You know, your financial problems are your own. And we see his motivation and we fall in love with how bad he is, only to be taken out by that awesome, you know, that awesome sequence with the Dilophosaur. And see, to go back to the foreshadowing, that is where I think they did a really good job in foreshadowing. It's just an example of good foreshadowing when he's meeting with Dotson and he says, pay the check. Don't get cheap on me. That was Hammond's mm-hmm. mistake. So that's yep. a character talking about his own finances. So it's only reinforced later when John Hammond says, you know, your financial problems are yours. I don't expect people to be perfect or whatever, you know, but their mistakes, you know, I just expect that they own up to them or whatever. So mm-hmm. I like, I like that, that, that sets that up well without being a, you know, blatant, Oh, we got to point out that he's got problems, but, yeah. but no, Nedry's awesome. And I still, one of my most quotable is whenever I'm out somewhere 
And uh, I do have a tendency to get loud and excitable when I'm telling stories. <laughs> Somebody will shush me and, and I will go, Dotson, we got Dotson here. See, nobody cares. <laughs> Most people don't get it. <laughs> and I don't care. It's mostly for me. But I just right. love how he's like, you shouldn't shout my name like that. Yeah. Dotson. <laughs> You you bring up an interesting point that nobody gets it, and that that kind of concerns me because that character is now going to be in the third Jurassic World movie. So mm-hmm. I, I I I wish people would kind of understand it and and remember that moment a lot more. But uh, I'm interested to see how it pays off. He was a main character in the Lost World. Yeah, and they completely cut him out of the movie. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what they do with it. Yeah, me too. So. I think on this note, everybody, we're going to take our leave from the Jurassic Park franchise and uh, promise that we'll be back sometime in the future to talk Jurassic World. So, Brad, why don't you take a second and tell everybody where they can find you outside of this podcast? Um, well, uh, I I do host the Jurassic Park podcast, so come listen to us. You can find us uh, at JurassicParkPodcast.com. You can find us on all the uh, podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify as well. Um, We do have well over 200 episodes and tons more bonus episodes. And uh, we have uh, a lot of content on YouTube as well. We do, like you mentioned, Dennis Nedry. We do unboxings for a lot of the toys and get sent stuff from Mattel. And um, we do a lot of our other coverage and stuff on there as well. So go find us on YouTube, but uh, follow us on Twitter at Jurassic Park Pod and myself, I guess, at Brad Jost. That's it. That's about it. You can find us all over the place. Great. Thank you, Eric. Uh, you can find me on my other podcast, Everything, Anything, and Nothing Really. Uh, you can find that on iTunes, on YouTube, on Podbean, wherever fine podcasts are sold. And for me, I'm on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Fildimo, F-I-L-D-I-M-O. And I've also been on episodes in of podcasts in the Real Fans Podcast Network, Real Fans for Real Movies, Disorder, Every Disney Film in Order, Holy Batcast, the All Batman Podcast, and Brad's other podcast, Grim Grinning Hosts. So thank you all for joining us on this look back of Jurassic Park. And we hope it didn't ruin your childhood. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. Alan, this species of veriform has been extinct since the Cretaceous period. I mean, this thing is a hundred this thing. Why? It doesn't apply. They're totally wrong. This is a warm-bodied creature. This thing doesn't live in a swamp. This thing's got, what, a 25, 27-foot neck? Brachiosaurus 30.
yesterday. Well, we clocked the T-Rex to 32 miles an hour. T-Rex? Mm-hmm. You said you've got a T-Rex? Uh-huh. Say again. <laughs> we have a T-Rex. Wow. Put your, put your head between your knees. <laughs> Dr. Grant. My dear Dr. Sattler. Welcome to Jurassic Park. I'm sorry, Phil. My my audio cut out. Uh, are we getting pizza? Yeah, yeah. We're getting. I'm I'm getting pizza delivered to both your houses. Awesome, awesome. <laughs>